All right, Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay. I, uh, I was not called to be a pastor. I don't think that was ever a calling of mine. Ever. It's weird. Right? I was a teacher. I was like teaching, you know, the volume of cylinders. That's what I was teaching. And, uh, and somebody was like, you should be a pastor. And I was like, I guess. Like, it didn't feel like a calling very much. Um, <laughs> seriously, it was like that. It was, um, it was familiar. My dad was a pastor. Then uh, my grandparents were pastors and stuff. So it felt familiar to me, right? And at the time, we were living in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm from New York, living in Philly. And, and so I'm talking to my wife. And I'm like, hey, should we move up to New York? And should I like, start a church? And she's like, you have zero experience. You've never done that before. I was like, I know. Should we do it? And, <laughs> and, and that's how it was playing itself out. And so uh, we did. Like, we, we decided to do it. We, we sold our house in the midst of the housing crisis. It was like 2009. We had a 17-month-old and a three-week-old. Um, and we moved here. Don't ever do that, by the way. Not, <laughs> never. Like, we moved here. And, and, um, and why? Why do we do this when we're not called to it? Like, you know, like, honestly, like, legitimately, that's a good question. Like, I don't necessarily know the answer. I don't think I knew the answer as to why we did that, even if we weren't called to it. Uh, but we did it, and, and uh, we're here. And, and it, it just has me thinking about really, really big decisions, right? Gi- the giant decisions. Um, I'm a sports fan. I never do sports analogies because we don't have many sports fans in this church, but I'm doing one today. <laughs> so deal with it. Um, so I'm an Islander fan, a hockey fan, and they just traded for this player. His name is Jean-Gabriel Peugeot. And Jim, me and you, buddy. And uh, he's the only one that cares besides, besides me. But it was awesome. Like, they... Uh, they they interviewed him, and they were like, are you excited? He's like, I'm really excited. And they're like, well, tell us about the process. And he was like, well, I'm really excited to be here. And then I started thinking about uh, you know, playing with, a new, with new teammates, and I started thinking about moving down to New York, and I started thinking about moving my family here and getting a house and all the rest, and I promptly ran to the bathroom and threw up. Like, that's what he said. And so do you, do you know those kinds of decisions? You know the decisions? They get you right here, right? And, like, you do feel like you want to throw up a little bit, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? Just raise your hand if that's happened or if it's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about, these decisions. And, and they're different, right? So, you know, we're not talking about, like, should I watch Netflix all night or should I go out with my friends? Like, we're not talking about that. We know the answer. It's always watch Netflix on the couch. We know that's true, right? But we're talking more about, like, uh, the big ones. Like, should I move? Should I get a new job? You know, should I change up my career? Should I, um, you know, should I take this giant risk and, and do this thing that feels com- completely foreign? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about those, right? Those big decisions. Should I raise my kids in New York? Should I move someplace cheaper? What should I do? Um, Relationships-wise, it's always big, you know? Should I, should I even be friends with this person? Like, should I commit to that? Should I, should I start dating? Should I take this to the next level? Should I get married? Should I have kids, right? Those are like the big things. Or you just find out you're having a kid, and you're like, well, I'm going to throw up now for a lot of reasons, right? Like, a lot of reasons. And so, and so there's a sense in which, like, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago when uh, we did Lost. I was like, relationships are a crapshoot, right? We don't know. We don't know if they're going to work out or not. Um, and so it's bringing a human being into the world, especially now. It's like a little bit of a, a, a scary time. And so there are these big decisions. And yeah, we do want to run to the bathroom, right? We do, it, it gets us, and it gets us right here. 
And I think about discerning, making those decisions. I think about the way we were raised being a big deal, kind of how we make those decisions. Um, so for me, when I was growing up, my parents analyzed everything. And, and they, would, they would almost make a decision, and then they wouldn't. And so legitimately, when I was growing up, there was a few times that my parents told me and my sisters, hey, we're moving. And we'd be like, okay. And then we would tell all of our friends. And then a few days later, they'd be like, we're not moving. And they did that to us a few times, to the point where I still hang out with those same friends that I knew when I was a kid. And now, we're all like 40, and now they still say to me, hey, Williams, you moving? <laughs> like, they still do that to me. Because that's how often my parents did that. They did that a lot. Uh, who analyzes just nonstop before they can make a decision? We get that from our, we get that, that's, that's real. Uh, you, it's like you can't look, you look at the same house on Airbnb eight days in a row, like it might change. Yeah, no, like that, that's hard. Uh, but you know what I think that did for me? I think it made me slightly more impulsive, right? It made me feel like, man, I grew up in a family that could never make decisions. I'm just going to go ahead and do these things. And I remember being, like driving down the highway, we were pregnant with our second child, and me just saying to Juby, like, hey, all right, let's go. We're going to move to New York, like, like that. Were we called to it? I don't know. And then you add God's calling into the mix. God's calling and God's will. How many people have been like, hey, what's God's will for my life? What is God's will? What's God's plan for me? What does that look like? And there's a lot of different feelings around God's plan or God's will for my life or the calling. And the reason there's a lot of different feelings is because, truth be told, a lot of times the church has used that to manipulate us, Right? Something's happened in our lives, something's going on, like bad things are going on, and it's like, well, you might not, you're probably not in God's will. Like, have you heard that before? That's, that's manipulative. That's not, that's not right. That's not fair. But we do that to ourselves. We have a bad theology around God's calling and around God's will. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9, which you all know, it says, uh, the heart is deceitful and wicked. And so we take that and we create a bad theology around that. A theology that says, oh my gosh, we can't make these decisions on our own, right? The big decisions that make us want to run and throw up. Uh, and so we got to be in God's will. But what does God's will look like? Because I can't decipher it because we're deceitful and wicked. Which, by the way, Jeremiah is talking to an entire nation that started worshiping nationalism instead of worshiping God. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, that's the context behind that. So, so, yeah, so here we have, like, you know, so what we do, it's this bad theology. So we go to our Bible. Okay, good start. We go to our Bible. God, what's my will? What's my calling? How do I make this decision? But we don't know, even know how to read our Bibles. You know, like I say every single week, we think of our Bible as a constitution or as a rule book, this thing that, like, will tell us what to do. And so that's created a bad theology and a theology that everyone in this room has done, myself included, where we pray and we're like, God, please just tell me what to do. And then we open up our Bible to a random page and point, right? <laughs> Y'all have done, you have done this. You've done it. And it's like, oh no, give heifers to the temple. That's not helpful. <laughs> like, like, oh man, this is not, not going to help me. But we created a bad theology. That's what we've done. It's what we've done. So yeah, so I think, um, I think we, we're, we're in Lent. We're in Lent. And Lent, like, legitimately, is a time where we come face-to-face -face with some of the more uncomfortable questions in our lives. Uh, it's a time we come face-to-face -face with mortality, right? That's what Ash Wednesday is about. Dust we are, dust we return. Um, and so for Lent, you know, last week, if you were here last week, we had, like, a giant band, and we blew it out. And this week, like, 
on purpose, intentionally, we're kind of ushering in something a little bit more introspective, right? Not that it'll be that way every week, but we wanted to create that kind of feel right, for Lent. And so for Lent, what we want to do is we want to talk about discernment or God's calling or God's will, the confusion around it, the things that make us want to throw up. How do we, how do we deal with those? Or the fact that when we think about God's will, that it has been something that's manipulated us. But here's the thing, and this is the thing. In our vision to usher in the next 500 years of Christianity, I think God's calling and God's will are incredibly important. I don't think they're things we can throw away. And so I want to take the next five weeks, because we can't make a decision in one week, okay? We're going to take the next five weeks to talk about discernment and God's calling and God's will, all right? And, and so let's kind of sit in our confusion a little bit. But like Angela always says, we're going to find some hope and hallelujah at the end of it. Does that sound good to everybody? Cool. Y'all, I want to tell you about the hope and hallelujah I found, because it's real, um, and I'm excited about it. But in order to do that, I want to talk about the passage I read at the beginning. I'll read it again, this part especially. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to fulfill his good purpose. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This passage used to give me nightmares, like legitimate nightmares, right? Salvation, am I saved? Am I going to heaven or hell? And I say this every single week at this church, and I will continue to say it every single week because it's so incredibly important. We are not separate from God, okay? It's not like you have people on this side who are like, I'm not saved, I don't have salvation. And people on this side are like, thank God I have salvation, y'all are screwed. It's not like that. God is sitting there going, you've always been my child. I have always loved you. I have never been separate from you. How can I show you that? I got it. I'm going to come down in bodily form as Jesus. And I'm going to walk with the people who have been told that they're on the outside to show them that they're on the inside. Right? This is what, like, we, we get it. So why have we created such a terrible theology that says some people are out, some people are in, when Jesus shows up to show us that everybody's in? We've always, ha- we've always been children of God. We've always had this, quote-unquote, salvation. It's always been with us. God is always with us. And so I say this all the time, and I'll continue to say it. God does not give us Jesus so that God changes God's mind about us. God gives us Jesus so we change our minds about the goodness of God. That is the first thing we got to remember. First and foremost, okay? So when, when Paul says, work out your salvation, here's the thing. This should not cause anxiety in us. This should cause thankfulness. We should be like, yeah, because I am a child of God. Because I, I am, a, God wants nothing more. And it's not, you know, the word is saved. It's like God wants nothing more than just to see me be a part of God's, you know, kingdom. That's it. I'm, I'm there. I have it. I don't have to worry about losing it or not having it or whatever the case may be. It's there. And I'm thankful for that. So let that be thanks. Not, don't, don't, let, let's not have that be anxiety. Let's be thankful for that thing. Okay, we got that part. We, we feel okay there. So with that thankfulness, we now need to work it all out. All right, we're a part of God's plan. We're a part of God's kingdom. How do we work out this thankfulness? In fear and trembling. Great news, right? <laughs> And great news. Oh, my Lord. Fear and trembling. This passage was awful, right? Because I used to be like, I'm scared. Like, I remember being like, oh, man, I hope I got this right. I hope I'm not messed. I hope I'm in God's will. Y'all, I say this all the time. I feel like a lot of things I say all the time. But I say this all the time. The Bible was not written in English, right? The Bible was written in different languages, which Greek being one of them. And so here are two Greek words, the two Greek words for fear and trembling. And these Greek words, you're not going to remember them. You don't need to. They're phobos and tromos. I just like saying them. They're kind of fun to say, right? (laughs) Phobos and tromos. So phobos and tromos means, uh, so uh, it says, work out the fact that you are now part of God's plan with phobos and tromos, fear and trembling. 
what it, it translates to, and this is not an exact translation, which is why the, the translation is not great, but it works out to um, work out your salvation with awe, with reverence, and with expectation. Ooh, ooh, that's good, right? Work it out with awe and reverence and expectation. That's basically what it's saying to us. Now, awe, reverence, those are big words. Those are powerful, powerful words, right? And so there's a sense in which, yeah, I guess when you think about awe, there is a little bit of fear with awe. Like, oh, man, right? you, know, you feel that? Like a little bit of that? I'll say it another way. Um, Mark 5, there's a woman, and she's been bleeding for a long time. And so she says, if I could just touch Jesus' garment, if I could just do it, I'm going to be healed of my bleeding. And so there's this giant crowd around Jesus and everybody's bothering him and she goes up and she touches his garment and Jesus stops and goes, who touched me? And the disciples are like, everybody's touching you, man. There's hundreds of people around you. And he goes, no, but somebody touched me. And then this is what the scripture says. It says, then the woman, knowing what happened to her, knowing that she's already been healed, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Phobos and tromos again, just different ways told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Again, that's the same Greek words. And we might think she's scared of Jesus or she thinks she did something wrong. No, she already knows she's been healed. You know what she's doing? She's coming to Jesus with awe and with reverence and with expectation that this is like profound change has happened. It's, it's, it's going to be part of God's kingdom now. Like it's a different way to view the decisions that we make. Do we feel that? That's good news. Who watches Queer Eye? Yeah, yeah, me too. You know at the end of Queer Eye when we all cry? That's it. That's the fear and trembling. You know, because the guy's, his life has changed. Right, we see it. And like there's been a lot of hard work put in. And like a lot of big changes have taken place. But that's the fear and trembling we're talking about. You ever see like um, somebody who wins a lottery? You know what I'm talking about? Like the the thing that always comes to my mind is you know like when you're watching TV and somebody goes, (gasps) Like they cover their mouth like that, that's the fear and trembling I'm thinking about. Okay, think about it that way. Like you finally got into law school, you know, the job finally came through, you've been searching for so long. For us, it took us forever to have kids. We tried and we tried and we tried. And it was the first time we found out we were pregnant, or maybe like the first time an adoption comes through, right? For, and, and, and those things bring about reverence and they bring about, you know, awe. An expectation that, wow, I'm now a part of this kingdom. I'm doing kingdom work. That is what this passage is all about. It's not about being afraid. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to know that when you're making these big decisions that make you want to throw up, God is at work in them. And God is going, yeah, you might not like this now. And by the way, we might not like it now. It might not be pleasant. You know what the Bible is good for? It's good for watching people and the way they imagine and reimagine God at work in their lives. And when we look at that, we see lots and lots of times where God is at work in people like Moses and Jonah and even Jesus. And it's not all great, right? This isn't prosperity gospel stuff. But after the fact, when hindsight is 2020, we're like, oh, reverence. You got to be kidding me that the history was changed because of this, right? That's the way we see it. So here's, what I, here's all I want you to know today. This is it. This is all I want you to know. I want you to know, number one, that you are a child of God. There's no in or out here, okay? Salvation is yours. Got it? I want you to know that. Don't forget it. Number two, <laughs> number two, and I got to read it for you. Paul says this. Paul says, for it is God who works in you to will and act 
in order to fulfill his good purpose. Again, translation ruins everything. Basically, Paul is like giving us the corniest of lines right now. And this corny line is this. Work it out, because God's working in you. That's what Paul is saying. Like, Paul, Paul's into it, you know? Paul's excited too, right? And that's the second thing I need you to know. Work it out. Yeah, we feel like we're going to throw up. Yeah, it's scary, whatever. But God's at work in us. So if God's at work in us, we can expect the thing that happens or the thing that comes next at some point, and maybe not right away, is going to bring about awe. It's going to bring about reverence and expectation that we are part of God's kingdom. That's all we need to know for today. What big decision do you have? What big thing? And you're like, I'm not called to this. Maybe I am called to I don't want to do this. Maybe I do want to do it. I need to run to the bathroom and throw up. I'm not saying we need to make that decision right now. We don't. We could sit in it. We could sit in it with the expectation that Paul gives us when Paul says, hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And now we know it's, it's way better news than it sounds at first. Work out the fact that God is in you, at work in you, bringing about incredible things in you. It's going to happen. The anxiety can wait. I was not called to lead this church. Church planners are, are off a little bit. <laughs> church planners are not healthy people. <laughs> and there's a sense in which that's true for me too. So we said yes to this, and I don't know why. And I mean, there's a lot that happened in my life, and if you know anything about me, I'm not going to rehash it all right now, but like, I remember like a couple years in, we were cool. Like we were a church and we had, you know, people, people came. It was great. And I don't know, we were part of a denomination. I had good mentors and good coaches and all the rest. And I remember leaving here one Sunday and I was like, what makes our church any different? What are we doing? Like we're not doing anything. We're just, like you can go to any other church in this city and the same thing will happen there. What are we doing? And it was interesting, like, I was sort of like, it was the beginning of me getting like this 500-year calling, right? Like, I didn't know it at the time. Like, I didn't know I was supposed to be a pastor. It was like the beginning of me going, you know, like, if we're not inclusive of everybody, like full stop, no asterisks, what are we doing? I kind of felt that way. And I was like, and I'm learning from mentors about like different ways to read scripture, but I'm not preaching about it because I'm too afraid to preach about it because I'm afraid that we're going to lose people if we start preaching that way. I was like, what am I doing? What are we doing? And that just kept coming to my mind. Like, we don't talk about justice enough. What do we do? Like, and so finally I said, like, to our staff, when we all were talking, I was like, we're gonna, we gotta make big changes. We gotta make really big changes. And I remember talking to this person who was my mentor, who was part of our denomination, and I said, hey, these are the changes we're thinking about making. And he goes, well, you know that if you make those changes, you can't be a part of us anymore. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he was like, and you're gonna lose money and you're gonna lose people. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he goes, well, why would you do it? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I, was like, I wasn't called to this to begin with. <laughs> and then we decided after like a lot of talk, conversation, a lot of prayer, like, yeah, we're going to be an inclusive church, full stop, no asterisks. And we decided, hey, we're going to start you know, looking at Scripture. Don't be afraid to preach on Scripture because it's good news. The way that, that you know. and, and what I realized is this was the beginning of our 500-year calling. We are going to usher in a new kind of Christianity. And guess what? We got kicked out of our denomination, and people left in droves. And I didn't know if we were going to make it. I didn't know if our church was going to make it. And I was like, this was the dumbest thing I have ever done. <sighs> Who was that church last week? Anybody here last week? 
last week. Last week I came in, and I didn't have to preach. Um, that band was fire last week. That band was fire last week. And I remember just, and so we were worshiping, and, and somebody was up on stage, and it was their first time up on stage, and they were in the, part of the band, part of the singers, and I went up to them, because they told me their story about three weeks earlier about how they'd been ostracized from the church for being gay, and they talked about how the church had really hurt them and how they weren't even sure they could get back into church. And then they were up on stage singing. And I went up afterwards, and I was like, that meant something to me. Thank you. Like, thank you for doing that. And he was like, it's a healing. I'm healing right now. I'm healing. And like, ooh, I felt that, right? I felt that. And then Sarah preached. Whenever Sarah preaches on justice, I'm like, jaw drop. Thanks a lot, Sarah, for preaching. But I was like, but this is part of the vision that we had. It's amazing. And, uh, and then Juby and I, my wife and I, we had, to, we had to do communion. I haven't served communion since the first week our church existed. And then I served communion. And I was there with Juby, and I was saying, body of Christ broken for you. And, uh, and people were coming up, and I didn't know a lot of you. And... Um, I, you know, when I got home, I looked at our attendance two years ago. And two years ago, our attendance was 147 people. That's great. Wonderful. It's good. And then last week, our attendance was over 300. We doubled. We doubled in size. And I was like, whoa, we've doubled in size. And then I sat there, and I was like, I, was like, um, I just saw other people coming up, and I heard your stories. And there were stories of like, hey, you know, I... I'm finding a safe place to worship again. I didn't think I could ever find a safe place. Or I was told I was far away from God, and now I know I'm not. And I've deconstructed my faith, and this is a place where I can reconstruct it. Or I'm meeting Jesus again for the first time, and I've heard all these stories, and you all are coming up, and I'm saying, body of Christ broken for you, and oh my gosh, my allergies acted up. <laughs> and I got emotional, right? And Juby was next to me. I looked at her, and she was crying too. And the band was singing, and we were with you all. And I thought, I was not called to this. But Jesus is showing me my calling now. Our calling now. What this thing's about. And I sat there for a moment, and I was like, this, you know, this is fear and trembling. Or should I say, on reverence and expectations for all that is to come in this place. And that's it. Amen? Can you pray with me? God, thank you for this church. Thank you for tough decisions. Thank you for being in tough decisions even when we don't feel called or we don't know. Thank you for the fact that you're always working in us and through us. And so we just pray that you continue to work in and through this church. God, thank you for this community of people who are working together to, to legitimately share good news that you would have us share. We pray that we would do it well, and when we don't, we're so thankful for grace that comes. And God, we just thank you today, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.